Welcome to the check-in for community connection and conversation over the airwaves. Thanks for checking in with us today. Professor Mike Middleton is a very well-known name and leader in higher education and across Missouri. He's served as an interim president of the University of Missouri during the crucial time following the Concerned Student 1950 protests. He's also served as interim president at Lincoln University and as a vice provost and deputy chancellor at MU. But well before all that, back in the 60s and 70s, Professor Middleton was among the first ever law students, black law students at MU, and went on to become the first ever black professor in MU's law school. So with all the other titles Professor Middleton has held, we always add to that pioneer. He has seen a lot. And it seems a really good time to go to someone in our community who has experienced the front lines of civil unrest, just racial discrimination and conflict in times that might rival the times we're in and who has pioneered their way through it. Today, we're talking with two people on the check-in with experience in our community working on the front lines for change. Professor Middleton is here to help us understand what's going on today, what history teaches us about what's going on today. Professor Mike Middleton, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. Let me remind our listeners, you can join our discussion today. Let me first say, though, that we're also later in this program going to uh, hear from someone who's working on the front lines for change very much in the local everyday present. Tracy wilson Kleekamp is the president of the influential Columbia group Race Matters Friends. Tracy tirelessly engages with and confronts our systems of education, policing, politics and policy. So she is also a great person today to help us understand what's going wrong in our systems of justice that Race Matters Friends already works all the time to address. The Race Matters Friend organization also runs a community bail fund, and we'll hear about that today. And you, listeners, can join our discussion as you can every day. What do you think we can learn from the 1960s and 70s or even from our recent history here in Missouri? Have you ever participated in a protest on MU campus or elsewhere back in the day or today? It's a little early to ask, but what do you think needs to happen in our education, policing, and policy structures to create a safe, equitable society? Big questions. We're still seeing the inequities in health and wealth that the police violence and the pandemic have both brought to light right now. So bring your questions and your comments. There's a lot to unpack today and every day, but our two guests today will help us do this. Professor Middleton, Really general question to start with. What's on your mind as you see events unfolding right now? What what part of history and your history would you like young protesters and social justice workers today to keep in mind? Well, that's a uh, that's a very broad question. Um, I guess what I would like for a protester t- today to understand is that they are a part of a an American tradition of protest uh, for change. If you think about it, um, I guess the Boston Tea Party back in 1790-something was a protest. Mm. Uh, The American Revolution was a protest. Mm -hmm. Um, Americans have, have demonstrated their dissatisfaction with 
the social situation or the political situation in this country since its beginning. Mm. So it's a necessary part of uh, the successful operation of democracy. And they should be uh, proud and eager to participate in that American tradition. Uh, so long as it's peaceful. We do have a tradition. Uh, my, my experience with protests was in the, with the Civil Rights Movement in the 60s. Mm. And we generally followed the uh, teachings of Dr. King. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I have to tell you uh, that uh, many folks got tired of uh, nonviolence. Uh, so you, you, you did have some folks that would get a little a little more angry than others and more demonstrative of their frustration. But generally speaking, uh, nonviolent, peaceful demonstrations of dissatisfaction have worked. And I would urge uh, our young people involved in today's protest to keep that in mind. Um, it's, it's difficult to remain calm and peaceful, but uh, that's the way you avoid uh, getting hurt, frankly. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it generally results in the change you're looking for. Uh, Professor Middleton, how, how is what you're seeing today, how does that compare to our recent history in, here in Missouri with uh, the Ferguson protest and the Concerned Student 1950? Um, when you say our protesters um, the, and, and also the people watching the protests, whatever, 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 you know, vantage point you're in, um, that you're looking at a proud, you used the word proud history, um, that is part of the foundation of America. Um, are we getting this a little better as a society since our recent history in Missouri? Um, how, do, how does what's happening today compare to even just um, five years ago? with uh, the Concerned Student 1950 protests and others, do you think? Well, you know, uh, it's, it's very much the same. But I think from what I've observed in watching television and seeing uh, the protests around the country uh, with regard to this current issue of the murder in Minneapolis, mm-hmm. is that the people involved are much more diverse. Um, that is not to say that, that uh, African-Americans did not have white allies uh, when we were protesting in the 60s. Uh, but those allies, the numbers seem to have grown. The, 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 the size of the crowds is larger. The, the multiracial nature of the crowds is more apparent. And I think that I'm encouraged by that development because it suggests that the rest of America is beginning to see uh, the problem of, of white supremacy and racial oppression in this country. And the more voices we have in agreement with the need to change, uh, the more likely that change is to occur. So while I'm disappointed at the, at the pace of change in this country, uh, I'm encouraged uh, with what I see now. You just mentioned the 1960s, and um, would you elaborate a little bit on how things today compared with your memories of the work that you did 
on the front lines and the protests um, of the 1960s and 70s? Well, like I say, it's not much different, uh, except with the uh, racial composition of, of the protesters. Um, although I haven't seen any police dogs and fire hoses mm-hmm. uh, in recent protests, and we had to deal with that back in the in the 60s. Uh, the, the police were much more aggressive in in attempting to tamp down the demonstrations and the marches that we were involved in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I think that America has grown to uh, understand that uh, uh, using force to, to silence the voices of the oppressed is not usually a good idea and it usually doesn't work. But um, so we're, 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 there seems to be a greater acceptance of, of people's rights to express themselves. But even as I say that, I recall seeing the uh, militaristic disruption of the protest in Lafayette Park in in Washington uh, earlier this week, which reminded me of some of my experiences in Mississippi in in the 60s. So, you know, while I'd like to say this is different, There are some incidents that uh, suggest that uh, we may be reverting to an earlier time. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. Uh, um, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to remind our listeners that you're listening to the check-in, and we're talking about working on the front lines of change and justice with Professor Mike Middleton, a longtime legal scholar and higher education leader, and a longtime civil rights pioneer, what questions do you have for Professor Middleton? This is your chance to ask questions of someone who has lived and survived the 60s and 70s and civil unrest, racial discrimination, and affected change at every level of higher education. Or are you yourself working on the front lines right now, either in protests and rallies or in public meetings and conversations? Join our conversation, bring your questions or your comments and stories. Professor Middleton, um, let me ask you about a little bit about your early life and how you got to Missouri. You were from Mississippi and mm-hmm. came to Missouri, and that just makes me think of really the most famous law student in Missouri, maybe Lloyd Gaines, who was also from Mississippi and who's, let me just remind people, you can describe this further, but whose appeal um, to attend the University of Missouri Law School went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court in 1938 and is a famous case. And, and this must have been very much on your mind. Can you Talk us through your experience of arriving in Missouri from Mississippi. Well, I came to Missouri. Uh, uh, I mean, I was born and raised generally in Mississippi, but my father was in the military, the Army, mm-hmm. and we moved around quite a bit when I was growing up. Um, we ended up being stationed at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Mm-hmm. So I went to high school in uh, Waynesville. So so my route to Mizzou was basically um, I graduated from a Missouri High School, and um, I went to the state university. I, I had a choice to go to uh, what was then, I think, SMS uh, or Drury uh, or Lincoln, where my older brothers went to uh, college. Mm-hmm. But I, I chose Mizzou. Uh, this was in 1964. Uh, I guess 14 years after Mizzou uh, opened its doors to African Americans, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I was sort of a, an, uh, an angry uh, pioneer activist mm-hmm. even in those days through my history in Mississippi. Um, so I, I wanted to uh, I wanted to go to Mizzou. And I came to Mizzou. Uh, it was an interesting on, on my first day at Mizzou. Um, some of my uh, friends from Waynesville wanted to meet at the shack, which was a mm-hmm. uh, you know college bar up on uh, right uh, right across the street from Jesse Hall. Yes. So uh, and they were all white, uh, of course. I was the only African American in the group. But uh, as as I was walking up from McReynolds Hall up, uh, I guess it's Seventh or Eighth Street toward the shack, a car passed by and someone yelled, "Go home, nigger." Uh, that was my first day on campus. Wow. And, uh, my, my, I remember, though, my response in my mind was, this is home. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, I, I went to high school in Missouri. My father has uh, given his uh, profession to uh, serving this country. Uh, I deserve to be here. And uh, how dare you? But that was my attitude. I was where I was supposed to be, and uh, it, it wasn't easy. I, I ran into that kind of thing regularly. Um, I've talked to Peyton Head a lot about this because he, that, that was the phrase that he was confronted with when he uh, was student body president here. And that's just the way it is. You know, there are people who, who do that kind of thing. Uh, but I, I, I enjoyed my time at Mizzou. I loved Mizzou. That's why I, I came back after my uh, career in Washington to uh, to teach here at Mizzou. Uh, it's a great place. It's a great community. But we do have issues that we have all over this country of uh, racism and white supremacy, and it's important that we work to uh, alleviate those problems. You're um, mentioning what your experience then and uh, compared to the experiences now and saying that, you know, the pace of change is uh, disappointing, to say the least. Uh, and a lot of people on this program this week have spoken about being tired. Um, mm. What what do you say to them? Um, you've you've dealt with the kind of stories you've just mentioned from day one on MU campus and and how do we how do we move forward through the exhaustion? Well, you know, uh, what I tell people is what I was told by a good friend of mine who was the first African American law professor at Harvard, Derek Bell, who is uh, pretty who was pretty well known uh, as a scholar on race issues. <laughs> But he had been a civil rights activist prior to getting into law teaching, as had I. And so I kind of followed his career. And I asked him one day, because I was particularly frustrated and tired at the pace of change, I said, Derek, you've been working in, on this stuff all of your life, as have I. You're, you're eight or nine years older than I am. Uh, how have you stayed with it? Because I'm just tired and frustrated and nothing has changed. And I've been working and working and it's not, I'm not accomplishing anything. I feel like a failure. He said, Mike, 
you're measuring success by the wrong measure. He said, what do you mean? He said, if you are trying to eliminate racism and racial oppression, you may never see that. What you need to do is measure your success by the extent to which you are engaged in the struggle. Hmm. And I thought about that, and I said, well, if that's the measure, I'm, I'm perfectly happy. I'm doing everything I can, and I am totally engaged. So if you just change your frame of mind, you can continue the struggle. But, but with, with that understanding, it's still difficult when you recognize that you may not see the end result. You need to just have faith that it will come uh, if more of us keep working. And so that's what I would tell young people who are engaged in this struggle, is to stay engaged and don't be so disappointed with the, with the pace of, of progress that you quit because quitting means that that end result will likely never come. All right. Those are the wonderful advice from Professor Mike Middleton. Uh, Professor Middleton, thank you so much for your time today and for your advice. Uh, we'd, we'd love to hear more from you and keep the conversation going with you, but please, please stay well and uh, stay in touch. Well, I'm, I'm happy that you had me. And let me say, you've got Tracy Wilson's plea camp coming up. Yes. And uh-huh. listen, to, li- listen to Tracy. She, <laughs> okay. She, know, she knows what she's doing. Okay. We are going to do that now. Thank you so much, Professor Middleton. We appreciate that. Um, and, and please take care. Okay. Thank you. All right. And, and yet, like Professor Middleton now we said, we're now going to go to Tracy wilson Kleekamp, president of Race Matters Friends. And uh, she also teaches at MU and might be one of the most involved citizens in Missouri or even in the country. <laughs> Tracy wilson Kleekamp, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Tracy, um, one thing I should just ask is, like, how are you doing? And also, what is on your mind right now? Another very general question that's hard to answer. But just what's on your mind as you watch events unfold? Well, I have been describing what's been unfolding as painful hope. I think it tags up with um, what Professor Middleton said about what he learned from Derek Bell that it's a measurement of how engaged you are in what's happening. Um, It's not a competition, it's a journey. So painful hope for me is um, watching but not putting too many eggs in the basket that it's going to change, that hopeful that the signs that we're seeing will, will move people, particularly white people, into a different um, way of seeing the world and interrogating their own ideologies about race and difference I'm in a way that makes them become, I don't know, conscientious every day, not mm-hmm. just when there's a crisis. Okay, yes. 
Um, let me just remind our listeners that this is the check-in. We're talking about working on the front lines of social justice and change with Tracy Wilson-Kleekamp. We were just uh, hearing from Professor Mike Middleton. Um, Tracy is the president of Race Matters Friends. What is your experience on the front lines? Have you been involved in protests today or back in the day? Or do you work with Race Matters Friends or other organizations to address systemic racism and inequities that have been illuminated by the pandemic and by the recent police violence and subsequent justice for George Floyd movements. Let us know your experiences, what you're seeing and what you'd like to see going forward. Tracy, um, as someone who is deep into policy at all levels, um, I, I would really like to get your thoughts on um, the conversations that you have with, you have them with police, um, you have them with education leaders. Um, what what would you, you're already having these conversations? But what what do you see as the low hanging fruit, the things that uh, we can really be addressing, or that you are already working to address right now? Well, I don't really consider them low hanging fruit. But what I would say, for example, is in 2014, the council approved the mayor's task force on community violence. Mm-hmm. If there is such thing as um, low hanging fruit, that was a document where the black community spoke and said what they needed for things to turn around relative to the police. Mm -hmm. And there's a practice um, (laughs) in politics where we say something and we do these reports and then we do the report and then they start to gather dust. Mm -hmm. So not only going back and acknowledging that document, Mm -hmm. but um, showing some humility in terms of of the patience that the black community has has tendered Mm -hmm. um, to Columbia officials um, as they um, consistently put the needs of people of color at the bottom of the list. I would say my my argument um, to support my claim is that two-thirds of the general fund is spent on um, public safety and 1.8% on health and human services. So the lowest hanging fruit that we have, but the hardest conversation we need to engage in is how do we rearrange our priorities so that we're investing in people and not more into these systems that have way, way, way too much power that we cannot control? This is not an indictment to anybody personally in policing, but policing as an institution is this way across the country. Um, they outstrip um, our ability to do other things because um, of the cost. So. Um, a lot of people are tired of negotiating with police and saying, you know, let's just take their money away. Let's just defund them. Let's give them a lot less money um, because we have so many expensive problems that come as a result of the behavior of policing. So those are the low-hanging fruit. One, the mayor's task force on community violence. Number two, um, a low-hanging one is our, what I would say, dysfunctional fiscal um, priorities that prioritize the wrong things first. Okay. You've been um, active in conversations uh, and work that has got this community violence task force and the documents that we're using to go forward in place. Is Columbia a a potential example of what can go right with policing, do you feel like, right now? Um, Or do we need to be doing more or both? So I want to get away from saying what's right or wrong or good or bad because we start making boxes and checking boxes. 
Mm-hmm. What I would say, and I made an analogy yesterday this on Facebook, um, it's really about the building relationships, wanting to pay catch with each other. Sometimes you miss the ball. Sometimes you throw a strike. Um, sometimes you get a home run. So we should be prepared to embrace a gambit of um, experiences trying to do better. So my conversations with Helen Wade and Jeff Jones and the mayor and the city manager, et cetera, is one is collaborating and, and leveraging their respective skill sets and powers and privileges they have in their institutions um, to work collaboratively with the community and, and to learn to center their work on the people, not on the, the power structure of their um, organizations. Those are huge asks. Um, so I think that's kind of what I think about that. Okay, great. I appreciate you kind of giving us the nuances there to that really basic either or question. Uh, Tracy, if you don't mind, let's take a call. We have Eric on the line. Eric, thanks for checking in. What's your question or comment? Um, yeah, hi. I just wanted to uh, echo a couple of things. Um, uh, as a white man, I've been uh, trying to uh, educate myself on how on my own biases and uh, how I need to do the work to, to, to be a change agent. And a couple of things that uh, uh, Ms. Camp wilson said really struck me. Uh, the first was uh, when you said that uh, we need to be conscientious all the time, not just in times of crisis. Uh, I really appreciated that as just uh, kind of a new level setting. Um, and then also kind of as I think your conversation is evolving more towards how we can really do that on a, like a structural level. And so like centering our work and our policies and our priorities on people first, certainly. And then also within that group of people, uh, the folks that, that, uh, need the most assistance, that's the way our policies should be designed. And that might not be, I guess, in some cases, the right. majority of those numbers. So. Thank you so much for that, Eric. If you want to stay on, uh, Tracy, a uh, response to that? Sure. I mean, I, I think it's a huge dynamic to rethink the way that we fund things. Um, COVID has laid bare how poorly we have invested in our infrastructure to serve people, especially those who are the most vulnerable among us. And um, in a crisis, you start to see where things break rather quickly. So um, we also are a very 7-Eleven culture. And I say 7-Eleven, those are like convenience stores in mm. California. We don't have them yes. yet, but we do sort of have a, a convenience mindset. Like we do things because they're convenient. We stray away from things that are hard, especially things that make us think outside of our comfort zone, push us to places we're not comfortable you know, talking about, I always use the example of sex because that's my thing that I have kryptonite. I get uncomfortable talking about it, right? I try to, I try to push myself to be uh, more vulnerable to having those kinds of conversations. And I mm-hmm. think race is the same way in class, mm-hmm. et cetera. But if we are always centered in what we want and we don't learn to think about our community, we all end up paying a price for it. And that is a huge mind shift for us as Americans, as a 7-Eleven culture. All right. Eric, thanks so much for your question, and thanks for checking in with us. Take care. Yeah. Uh, Tracy, we are just about out of time, but I want to—I have more questions, but let me just open it up to you. What, what would you like us to keep in mind right now? We'd, like, we'd need to have you back um, to unpack a little bit more on education and the community bail fund that you all are doing. Um, but w- let me just leave it for you generally to, to take 30 seconds or so here to just— 
let us know what you would like us to keep in mind going forward right now. So sure, a lot of people want to protest, and uh, Race Matters Friends doesn't protest unless there's a strategic, specific strategy involved, something intentional. So if you're out protesting, um, it's really important that you understand, especially if you're white, your privilege, and that you center the voices of people who have been minoritized in our society, but also that you work on yourself, that you work on your own racial identity, your own social identity, and understand your privileges, and learn to become aware of when you can leverage your own privilege to be the anchor of equity in a situation, or in your organization, or in your family, knowing that this is a difficult thing. It is very hard to sacrifice whiteness um, for equity. These are, these are not things you've learned to do overnight. They come with practice. Um, increase your circle of friends so that you have a better, more wider view of the world beyond the one that you're most comfortable living in. I always say learn to walk in other worlds besides your own with grace and listen and respect. And that's a job that all of us um, can do better at. Tracy wilson Cleekham, thank you so much. Uh, walk in other worlds with grace. <laughs> That's fantastic yeah. advice. Um, and Mike Middleton's advice, which was listen to Tracy. So <laughs> thank you, Tracy <laughs> wilson Cleekham. Please take care and stay in touch All with right, us. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. And that's it for today's live check-in on KBIA. Thanks again to Professor Mike Middleton and to Tracy wilson Cleekham for joining us. Thank you for checking in today. We'll be here tomorrow, same time, same place. By the way, we're talking about apocalyptic stories, talking about Walking in Other Worlds. Um, We'll especially be talking about the author Octavia Butler and Afrofuturism. How can futuristic stories help us reimagine the world we're in and especially the experiences of marginalized people? Join us for that tomorrow. Meanwhile, I'm Janet Saidi. Stay well and stay in touch.